0: Thank you, band. It's difficult to preach after a rousing couple of songs, but I'll do my best. Uh, it will be very useful if you turn in your Bible or swipe on your smart device to uh, Galatians chapter 2. Uh, we were looking at verse 15 to 21 this evening. Please pray with me. Father, as we approach this text and your word this evening, please quieten our hearts and clear our minds. Help us to focus and to listen keenly for the prompting of the Spirit and for the clarity and illumination of the Spirit. Father, use me as a tool in your hands and guide my words and my speech as I seek to show Christ to those gathered here this evening. Thank you for the privilege of being able to read and study and learn from your word. Thank you that we can do this freely and openly. And thank you that we can pray to you and know that our prayers are answered. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. By way of recap, the the last time I was in the pulpit, we saw Paul's reaction uh, to Peter's brush with heresy. Peter had distanced himself from from, from Gentile Christians and had abstained from bacon, uh, tragically. And in doing so, he had led astray other Jews. Uh, Paul tells us he led astray even Barnabas. Uh, and, and we saw that, that for Peter to, to separate himself from the Gentiles was not the right thing for him to do. And Paul came down pretty hard on him. And unfortunately for Peter, uh, Paul's tirade didn't end there and it carries on this evening. So if you'll, if you'll read with me, uh, starting in verse 15 of Galatians chapter 2 this is Paul speaking to Peter, he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Just hang on a moment, don't you hate it when someone makes some comment about a group that you're a part of and it's a little offensive, but then also perhaps a little true. This might not happen too much for for a lot of you, but I'm a lawyer and uh, as a profession we, there are a lot of stereotypes about us. (laughs) and Most of them are true. Uh, So, so lawyers just always argue. Well, no, we don't. (laughs) Okay, okay, I I see see your point. Uh, Another one, that lawyers are long-winded because they're paid by the word. Well, notwithstanding that we charge for our time, it is sometimes necessary and expedient to express ourselves extensively in order to ensure clarity and effective communication and to avoid unnecessary confusion. Okay, I see your point. And lawyers, they just use obscure words to confuse others. Well, I take umbrage at that notion and would counter that exigency and uh, would often dictate the necessary register and diction. All right, I see your point. So please, let's carry on reading as Paul classes us all as Gentile sinners. knowing that, it's a little bit offensive. So we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I'm going to look at this passage this evening in, in kind of three sections as we see how Paul builds his argument. But the, the main thesis statement of this passage, I believe, is found in verse sixteen, where Paul says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's let's unpack this and see how Paul makes this point, makes this argument, and defends this point against the teaching of the Judaizers. So the first point, we'll consider our standing. Standing before God, saint by the law or sinner without it. Verse 15 says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So Paul, he's, he's, he's addressing Peter here, and so he, when he starts with the word we, he's probably talking about himself and Peter. And he says, he says that they are Jews by birth. We can't, uh, we can't really argue too much with that, it's understandable, they certainly were Jews by birth. But what is, is confusing is the, the opposite that Paul refers to. He says, on the one hand, he and Peter are Jews by birth, and on the other hand, we have Gentile sinners. As a Gentile myself, my first reaction to reading this is always one of indignation, as is often my reaction to the lawyer jokes. But I want to say to Paul, yeah, okay, Paul, Sure. I'm not a Jew by birth, but come on, Gentile sinner? it seems like a bit of a harsh categorization. And it also sounds a little bit like Paul is saying that he as a Jew is not a sinner. But now what I, th- what I think Paul is actually communicating it comes, becomes a bit clearer if you consider the context. So in this passage, what is being confronted is the, the issue of whether the law must be kept in order to be a Christian. And the answer that is quite clear is no. Uh, the law does not need to be kept to be a Christian, and Paul is quite strong on that. He, he explains that any other gospel, any change to the gospel, any adding to the gospel uh, means that it's not the gospel, which is no gospel at all. So the gospel is the completed work of Jesus on the cross. The gospel is not about keeping the law. But in this interchange with Peter, Paul is confronting him because of his actions that contradicted the pure gospel. By his actions, Peter endorsed a Judaistic view of salvation, that which the Judaizers were proclaiming and that which the Pharisees taught, that to be saved you needed to keep the law and be circumcised. So it is in that context that Paul says he and Peter are Jews and not Gentile sinners. This is not a reference to some special holiness that the Jews have, but it invokes a view that the Jews have of the Gentiles. So while the law as we understand it now, does not and did not save, the law is still a grace of God. The law is an expression by God of His standard of holiness, and the Gentiles did not have that grace. The Gentiles did not have the law from God. They were lawless. They lived with no law, no constraints in their evil. The Jews were God's people. The Gentiles weren't. They were outside of God's grace. So in this sense, the Gentiles were the sinners, those with no hope, no means of salvation. So these descriptions are not of actual sin or actual lack of sin, but rather they're descriptions that reflect the Jewish perception of the state of the Gentiles as being without law and without restraint and evil, and living in abject wickedness, as opposed to the Jews who were sinful too, but were by the grace of God somewhat restrained in the evil because of the law. So then, all are sinners, Jews and Gentiles, so then what is the solution? And this is our next point. What is the solution? There's justification through sacrifice. Verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That's our thesis statement this deceiving. So Paul says, yeah, okay, we're, we're not Gentile sinners. And then he goes on to say, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, yeah, as, as a Jew, we have the law, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Now this is really what, what this book is about, and particularly what this passage is about. It's about justification. Justification is a most precious doctrine for Christians. It means that our guilt is removed before God because of the work of Christ, because of Jesus' death and resurrection. God is justified in removing our guilt. Sin is a transgression against God. To sin is to attempt to remove God from his throne, to place ourselves in that, in that place. That cannot just be forgotten. God cannot remain God while ignoring sin. So when God removes our guilt for our sin, there has to be a reason for this. God not punishing us for our sin is a departure from the natural consequence. Of our actions, there must be a reason, a justification for it, and Christ's death and resurrection is that reason. It is by that work that we no longer bear our sin and its consequences, and by that reason that it is possible for us to be reconciled to God. Also notice the the grammar of these words. It's in the passive voice. This justification is something that happens to us. It is not something we do for ourselves. It is not, not something that we can do for ourselves. God, holy God, cannot abide with sin, and he cannot remain just while sin is not punished. The way that he remains just and does not punish Christians is only because of Jesus and his death. As the song says, it is all because my Jesus died, I am justified by God. Or as Paul says to the Romans, talking about the death of Jesus in Romans three, he says that it was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be the just, might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So coming back then to the flow of thought here, look at verse sixteen. Paul says that he and Peter are Jews; they have the law. Yet he says we know that a person is justified through Christ and not works of the law. That's, that's the gospel, friends. But he goes on and he says, so also, so we also, and I think that, that, that we also refers then to, to Peter and Paul as, as Jews and then also together with the Gentiles, so Jews and Gentiles, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Works of the law do not save anyone. So even we, referring to in, in, the, in this passage, Peter and Paul and, and Jews believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith and not by works. So what an awesome and clear explanation of the gospel, that no matter who you are, Jew or Gentile, there is one way to be saved and that is by faith in Jesus. Now, that, that's the point. That's the, the main thesis statement, or the, the main driving point of this passage. It's the gospel. And Peter, Peter knows the gospel. And he also knows that his attempts at keeping the law do not make him more holy. So we're justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. But what, how, how, then, how does this, this justification, how does it work? And this is, our, this is our third point. Well, certainly not a sinful savior. In verse 17, Paul raises a question that he was probably expecting his Jewish hearers to ask. And it's a confusing one, so hopefully I can explain it this evening. He says in verse 17, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Paul has just explained that we are justified, declared righteous, our guilt removed. We are justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. So to his Jewish hearers, this would be a a bit of a strange thing. For the Jews, the Gentiles were called sinners because they did not have the law. And now Paul is coming along and saying that Jesus removed the need to keep the law, that we're justified outside the law. Were justified through Jesus. So it is as if none of us has the law. The Judaizers are suggesting that righteousness and justification come through law keeping. Paul says, no, Jesus is enough. Jesus provides righteousness outside of law keeping. So there is no need to keep the law. But if there is no need to keep the law, then we, in this passage, Peter, Paul, and Jews, are like the Gentiles who don't have the law. And so we are sinners. So the question goes, if Jesus and justification through Jesus means that there is no law-keeping, resulting in us all being sinners, then that must mean that Jesus is the cause of sin, that Jesus is a servant of sin. He is serving the purposes of sin because he is removing the law. Now, before I get tackled for heresy, Paul is just raising this point uh, uh, for the sake of argument. So he is putting forward the argument of the Judaizers. And you can see that in the flow of the text. He's, he's making his point about justification outside of the law. And then verse 17 starts, but if. He's not, that's, not, that's not his argument. He is, he is raising the objection. Uh, he's, he's anticipating the objection. And the objection is, is this, that Jesus is a servant of sin because he removes the law. And in answer to this question, Paul, Paul raises the question, is, is Christ then a servant of sin? And in classic Pauline style, he answers with a rather tamely translated, certainly not. In in Greek, it's meganito. It could also be translated, God forbid, or more more literally, may it never be so. I was advised by wise counsel that it would not be appropriate to suggest that it could be translated, oh, hell no! So I'm not going to suggest that, but it is certainly a very forceful negative. So does Christ serve sin because he removes the requirement of the law? Has he come to take away the righteousness that the law brings and, to so, and so make unrighteous those who were righteous? Certainly not. And Paul tells us why. The, the reason that he gives comes in two parts. And you can see the, the two parts uh, in, the, in the flow of the text. So verse 19 he says, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Then verse 18 starts for and he gives a reason. Verse 19 again starts for and he gives more of a reason. That word for indicates that what's coming now is supporting what came what was said before. So part one of the reason in verse 18, Paul says, For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So this is this is giving us a reason as to why Christ is certainly not a servant of sin. Now, this thing that Paul tore down that he's talking about is, is the law. It's the system of legalism and, and, uh, that the law had become in the hands of the Pharisees. The same system of law that the Judaizers were relying on for their own salvation. Now, Paul says he's torn down the law and the system that said righteousness comes from the law. And then he says if he rebuilt it, he would prove himself a transgressor of the law. And a transgressor of the law is a sinner, someone who is lost. So coming back then to the context as to why this is a reason that Christ is not a servant of sin, Paul is expressing that the law, the law is what made the Jews sinners. The law showed the Jews their sinfulness. That was the purpose of the law. Christ then, far from being a servant of sin, Christ came to rescue sinners out of their sin and made it possible for them to not sin. So Christ is not a servant of sin in his removing the requirement of law-keeping. On the contrary, Paul says, if we are to reintroduce the law, then we will just just prove ourselves to be sinners because that is the very purpose of the law. So then part two of this reason as to why Christ is certainly not a servant of sin comes in verse 19 through to 21. So to explain more of the, of the mechanics of this and the, the justification through grace uh, of God at the cross, Paul explains, he says, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. In the, in the Greek, the word law and God in that verse are in the dative case, which denotes that the law and God are the recipients or targets of uh, the, the actions in this verse. So Paul says he died to the law and he lives to God. Now this refers to the orientation of Paul's life. He no longer defines his, himself or his life with reference to the law. He is not a law keeper or a law breaker or anything to do with the law. He now lives to God. He lives and defines his life with reference to to God and his relationship to God. Practically, this means that we do not live keeping the law for the sake of keeping the law. That we call legalism. And neither do we live trying to avoid coming close to any law. The law, for the Christian, it does not have any bearing on our lives anymore. We are neither orientated towards it nor away from it. We are orientated toward God. We are not motivated by a desire to keep the law or a desire to avoid the law. We are motivated by a love and a reverence and a worship for God. We live how he wants us to live because he has saved us, because he loves us and we love him. Now the point made in this passage is made just with these words that we live to God. And that point is an immensely important one. Practically, practically, and this is confusing, but practically it means we do obey the law. We obey the law of Christ or the law of love. We obey the commands of God. We live how he wants us to live. Now if that's confusing and if you want more on this, you should totally join us at Youth on a Friday evening as we grapple with James talking about faith or belief being shown through works of the law, through obedience. As James explains, faith and obedience are not separate things. Obedience without faith is to live to the law, and it will not save. Faith with no obedience is fallacy, and it will not save. To live to God, as Paul explains here, is characterized by faith and obedience together. It is obedience because of faith. Like I said, this is confusing because living to the law often looks very similar to living to God. That's fairly easily understood because the law is from God. The law is an expression of His holiness. So if we are orientating ourselves to God, and to His holiness, it would make sense that we started to look more and more like the person described in the law. But there is a fundamental difference between that person that looks like that because of their life aim being God on the one hand, and the person that looks like that because they're desperately trying to keep the law for the sake of keeping the law. I cannot look at your life from the outside and tell you which one of these people you may be. At times, even in my own life, I need to check my own heart and my own motivations. But in the same way as Paul, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now, Paul says, That he died to the law, through the law. And I was hoping to find some some clarity here in, in the Greek, but the Greek for through just means through. So how did Paul die to the law, through the law? What I think this means is that it was the law itself that showed Paul that he needed the grace of God. It was the law itself that showed Paul that he was a sinner and that he was lost. As he says in Galatians 3, just, to, just on the next page, verse 23 to 26, he says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. So through the law, Paul learned of his need need of salvation and was led to Jesus. And he now lives to God and not to the law. The mechanics of this death to the law and life to God is pretty cool and it comes out in the very next verse. In verse 20, Paul says, uh, of of chapter 2, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says he died to the law. How? He was crucified with Christ. When Christ died, Paul died. Paul died to the law. And it is no longer Paul who lives, but Christ who lives in him. He now lives by faith in the Son of God. He lives to God by living in faith in the Son of God. To have faith is to believe and to trust. So he now lives a life of faith and trust in the Son of God. This living by faith in the Son of God is caused by and made possible only by the grace of God. The grace of God at the cross. By understanding the death of Christ as an act of love and sacrifice, it starts to make some sense why Paul might devote himself to God and live to Him. Because of this, Paul is a new man. He no longer lives with reference to the law. He now lives with reference to God. He trusts God, he loves God, and he worships Him. And this is possible, as Paul says, because it is not I who lives, but it is Christ in me. I live by Him. I'm no longer defined by sin and the law. I'm defined by Jesus. I am in Christ, he is in me. What happens to Jesus happens to me. I am crucified with him and raised with him to endless life. This is the grace of God, the death of Christ. But we need to be very careful about this because if we start to rely on our own works, on keeping the law, then that is potentially fatal to the grace of God in our lives. Verse 21, Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul has been speaking in the first person, but his experience of salvation is the same for every believer. We've all died to the law, we all live to God, but only if we're in Christ, only if, as verse 16 says, we have believed in Christ in order order to be justified by faith in Christ. When we have been crucified with Christ, or we have been crucified with Christ, yet we live in Him, Christ lives in us and we live by faith in the Son of God. There's no space for the law there. There's no space for anything for us to do. We've died to the law. We've died to works. We live to God by His grace brought at the cross. Paul ends this passage in verse 21 saying that he does not introduce law back into the mix. To do that would be to nullify the grace of God. If righteousness were attainable by works, then grace has no meaning. If righteousness came through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So friends, guard yourself against relying on your works. Rejoice at your union with Christ and praise God for the life that we can live in faith and reverent worship of Him who made our salvation possible. As I said earlier, I cannot tell from the outside whether you are living to the law or living to God. But this this is serious. If you live to the law and you are seeking to keep the law and satisfy the demands of the law, you nullify the grace of God. Now it's a hard part of preaching uh, when when it starts to get a bit real. But this is real. This is salvation and justification. This is as real as it gets. Friends, if you come to church, I don't know if you're doing that because you love God and want to please Him, or if you have some sense of obligation and feel like you, you will appease Him if you keep His command. I don't know if your acts of service or your giving or any part of your life is an attempt to balance the scales or if it is done out of reverent worship to the God who saved you. Only you know what is in your heart. But this is incredibly important. If in your heart you are obeying God because you think that this will make you somewhat more acceptable to Him and you're trying to earn His favor, then this is a desperate attempt to earn your salvation through law-keeping. But if in your heart you know that you are a sinner, saved by grace, saved by grace alone, and you just want to love God and serve Him and obey Him, well then you're living as one saved by grace through faith. As a reminder, verse 16 says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no space for works. Keeping the law does not help us. And now in verse 21, Paul says, keeping the law, living to the law, takes the power away from the gospel. It nullifies the grace of God. You cannot be saved if you think that you are doing even a little bit for your own salvation. Yes, we need the law. We need the statement of holiness from God to convict us and to drive us to our knees as we consider how far short we fall from what God has commanded us. But then it is in that desperate state that we turn to Jesus. You have nothing to offer him. You don't come to Jesus when you think you're on the right path, on the path of holiness, and get him to take you over the finish line. Jesus is the beginning. Yes, he will get you to the end, but, if you, uh, but, but you cannot begin without him. If you think you can, then you're running the wrong race. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this reaffirmation of the truth of justification. Help us to serve you and love you out of a desire to honor you and not out of a misplaced desire to earn your favor. Grant it to us that we would not nullify your grace. Grant it to us that we would trust the finished work of Christ for our salvation and that we would be reorientated to you and become more and more like Jesus as we seek to honor and worship you with our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.